Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that can allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over 50 million pounds worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Business Growth Secrets. You're with your host, Adam Stott. Super excited to introduce today's episode. Today's episode is an extract from my Gold Circle event. Very recently, I invited the one and the only Mr. Motivator to come and join myself, my clients that I mentor and coach in the Gold Circle group. Now, if you don't know what Gold Circle is, Gold Circle is my mentoring program, which includes lots of one-to-one coaching, uh, 12 live days with me where people spend time together in a big network of brilliant business owners looking to grow and scale their businesses. Uh, We teach all the different concepts from mastering you as a business owner to marketing, sales, business strategy, numbers, and branding. And we take people for a step-by-step process to really help them to grow and build their businesses. We get amazing results. We're constantly having uh, business owners get massive breakthroughs from their first 100,000 to 250,000, all the way up to 10 million in revenue in terms of businesses growing. So it's an excellent program. And often what I do is I bring guests in like Mr. Motivator for life interviews uh, where people can learn from him, get to meet him, have photos done with him and so much more. And this is an extract from that particular. So you're getting a real behind the scenes. Um, What did Mr. Motivator say to help motivate my Gold Circle members to grow and push on even further? And look, if you would like mentoring, coaching, hand-holding, support, and to be surrounded by a mass of brilliant people that can help you to grow and build your connections and you want to learn more about Gold Circle, go over to www.adamstott.com and uh, submit a message and we'll be really happy to um, have one of our team chat to you about how we can help and support you. In the meantime, hope you enjoy the episode, which is going to be, uh, you know, I think it was brilliant. It was really, really motivating for everybody there. He shared so many cool insights to his career, uh, talked about becoming one of the most famous people in Britain, certainly the most famous fitness person in Britain during the 90s, all the way through the 90s, and even doing stuff during lockdown as well. So I think it's a brilliant episode that you can get tons of value off. Um, I hope you enjoy. And uh, of course, we don't run ads on this uh, podcast. We don't do sponsorships. We don't sell anything. So all, all we ask is if you could share this with somebody It's just a touch of a button to go and share this with somebody that could grow. That's the way this podcast grows. We do it to help business owners just like you. So if you could share this with somebody that you feel will get great value, we would be eternally grateful. Now, let's jump into the episode with Mr. Motivator. It's good to see everyone getting moving a little bit. And (laughs) and I think that where we kind of wanted to start today is you've had a huge career, huge career. And I think it's really actually very telling that when I announce somebody in Gold Circle, every single one of you know who he is before he gets here. Now, that is branding in itself. When we talk about branding, it's perception, it's about being known, and you've cultivated and built that brand over time. How did we start out? Was it intentional? How did that all come about? What's the journey been like? I think every single one of us are pretty far removed from where we began. You know, when you left school, you all had your intentions, you knew what you wanted to do, and then you make a series of decisions based on your circumstances, which takes you all over the place. And for me, um, there was a kind of lots of different triggers en route that made me do things, but initially it was all about survival. It was about feeding my family. It was about feeding. I was a one-parent family at uh, age 20, and I wanted the responsibility of looking after my daughter. And so I even took my girlfriend then to court 
and I won custody, right? And I started looking after her. And that was kind of the, the trigger point for me initially, is that number one, I had the responsibility of looking after a young child who was a daughter. And you can imagine, right, the problems that led to. And, you know, we were living in one bedroom um, flat. There was a point at which we were, we were homeless together. There was a point at which when, in fact, I had to make a decision about whether I fed her or I fed me. The thing is, we are judged based on the car you drive up in. But no one realized that well before that, you're on rollerblades or you're walking around barefooted, and that's how it was. And when you're given away at three months of age, you don't know what direction you're going to go in. So in answer to that question you gave me, is that it's, what led me here was just a series of things that happened in my life that made me have to make a decision about survival initially, feeding my daughter next, and then after that, it was being out of work. What do I do? Do I turn to crime? And that was always in front of you. Your, your friends were always there trying to give you a shortcut in terms of how to get on. And I wasn't really interested in that route because I had the responsibility of my daughter. So in terms of becoming Mr. Motivator, that was a progressive thing. And you know, there was a period, I remember back in 1983, I walked into a leisure center in Harrow. And uh, when I walked in, I could hear all this noise coming in from the back of a room. And when I went around there, I saw all these women doing all this movement and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I, I was transfixed. And every Tuesday, I was back there at the, at the back of the room just watching them doing this stuff. They called it pop mobility. And when a different track of music came on, they'd do different moves. And I, I, was, I thought, this is me. I thought, this, this would be great. So I, I had a word with two ladies at the front. And I said, listen, if I got a hall, would you come and take some classes for me? And they said, yes. So I quickly went down to Neesden Lane, and I found this new church hall was being built. And the vicar said, you can rent this if you want. And we started Derek's classes. Not Mr. Motivator, Derek's classes. And people would come in and they'd do their pop mobility, but I didn't feel satisfied within myself. I felt I needed to be teaching this. So I was making notes. I was recording it. And those are days we didn't have mobile phones, so I had the old camera. And... Um, and I always remember, after about two months, I said to them, look, I think I could teach this class. So I took over. And that allowed me to start branding it as me. And the hall started filling up. And people would be traveling 20 miles to come to my classes. We would have 120 people packed in the room using benches. You think the steps that you see nowadays is where it began. No, it was benches, up and down on benches, right? We did all that. We, we would do interval training and circuit training, which they're now called HIT. But we were doing it the old way before. And, you know, I'd punish them. I was like a sergeant major. I'd have them on the floor doing 50 press-ups. If you eyeballed me and you didn't do the 50 press-ups, everyone in the class had to do 50 press-ups. <laughs> but the class had became popular. We'd have athletes who'd come to be trained with me. And I didn't know anything about fitness other than what I'd learned. But what did I do after that? I immerse myself in the subject. I love that. That's what I did. I lived and breathed every single thing to do with wellness. Every book I could find. I, and there was only one Bible in 1985 that you could get. It was, it was by Dr. Cooper, and, it was t and he spoke about aerobics. And I got this book, and I was reading. And then videos. What videos? There weren't many around. Jane Fonda had video yeah. around, right? Jane Fonda, and I she wore my the ankle one. I that one, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> right, Jane Fonda. But then there was a lady in America called Karen Voigt, and she was considered to be the queen of fitness. And she had this wonderful studio in L.A. And I remember traveling all the way to L.A. And I got there, right? And I went into the studio, and it fueled me. And I came away with Cardio Funk. And Cardio Funk was... Uh, a guy called Billy Goodson, who worked for her, came up with this idea for music and movement, and who's funky. And I came away with that, and I started teaching people cardio funk. And so we used to run classes. And I'll always remember one of the first ladies who came to the class was a lady called Caroline Brown, who was the personal trainer for Princess Di. And she used to come to my training sessions, right? And I was there do, teaching everybody how to do cardio funk. And what was happening to me was my knowledge was increasing all the time. Because the more and more I did classes, the more and more I taught people, the more and more I was getting information from them about how I could improve, how I could be better. The more and more I shared what I was doing with other people, they were feeding back. 
at me and telling me, listen, how about doing this? How about doing that? So my class structure changed, which is a lesson of life. That's why you're here, yeah. right? The sharing aspect is really kind of important. So I'm going to give you the chance to ask another question because I, the I whole, wanna, how so, become motivated, <laughs> that is such a long no, journey. But you know what I want to say is, is, is because success essentially leaves clues. And we've been talking a little bit today about product launches, things like that. You launched this class, this initial class, before you were ready. Before oh, yeah. you said it wasn't perfect. What made you do that? Where a lot of people wouldn't do that, right? And that's the message that we try. Why did you go and attack it? What do you think it was? Was, was that it, out of survival? Was it out of... Yeah, it, I think it's a combination of lots of things. I think what, what happens is that if you see that there is a need and the evidence is clear because people are traveling far and wide and coming to it, there was a need for something in the way I was delivering. I wanted to grab it there and then. Yeah. Right. What did I say? Opportunity knocks at the door but once, but disappointment leaves on the doorbell. <laughs> so you grab it. And, and for me, I, in my life, it's never been a question of waiting for my ship to come in. I'm swimming out to it. No one owes me anything. So I've got to go out there and grab it. But marketing of an idea is really important. Absolutely. Critical. Right? And I believe, and when I, when I, in fact, if we jump ahead right, to 92, I'd spent 10 years before that trying to get into television, and they put every obstacle in the way. The worst thing to do with me is to tell me no or can't. Don't tell me that. That's the fuel that what makes me want to prove you wrong. So don't tell me that. And they kept telling me, advertisers won't advertise around a black man doing fitness. Um, there's no way that a black man doing fitness, it had to be a white person with two children. Um, no, there's no way this could ever work. I can't see it. And I was for 10 years trying it. TVM studios down in Camden Lock, I was down there every month, right, trying to have the editor on the floor, trying to show him what I would do. He said, no, we've got Mad Lizzie. Well, she was mad. I don't know what they mean. She was totally <laughs> mad. I mean, honestly. But they say that someone's life can be an inspiration or a warning. She was a warning of how not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I learned, in fact, we must always look at people who do things badly. Because it tells you what you need to do to do it well. So we always go, no, surely not. Yes. In fact, sometimes you have to mix with those people to work out whether the journey you're on is the right journey. Because, you know, they'll always be telling you, no, this can't be done. Nah, you can't. Do that. There's no way. Trying to get someone to share your dream is the worst thing in the world. And I had this vision of just being able to get on television, do fitness in such a way that people would swallow it and not think about it. It's a bit like when your parents wanted you to eat vegetables, what, did, what was it we did? Put it in a pie. That's what I had to do with fitness. I wanted to dress it up <laughs> in such a way that, in fact, you didn't think about it as being fitness. I never said to anybody, you must lose weight, you must get... I say, listen, come on, let's move the body. What am I doing? I'm dressing it up. But the marketing of Mr. Motivator came about because one of the first jobs I got was working for a company called Rank Hovis McDougall. And they had a training program called Essentials of Management. And they sent you away to learn about marketing, selling, distribution, production. And I came away from that so charged. And they would keep sending you away to it. So you learned all those essential elements. There were times I was working in Tesco, stacking shelves. So I know all about facings. I know which are the most important shelf to be on. Not up here, not down there, the middle. That's why everyone fights for it. And there was a time when I was doing merchandising for them. And I'd go in and you'd move someone else's product out of the way to push yours in there. But it was training ground. That's what I was learning all the while. And I was learning the importance of how I should market myself. How am I going to be different to anybody else? What did we learn from the green goddess? You don't necessarily do her exercises, but you remember the name. You remember the color. That was important. So therefore, for me, if I adopted something to do with color, and then I make my exercises fun, and I use music with an attitude, and there's something about using an American-style accent. It does work. 
And that's what I did. And so how did he evolve in terms of the unitard? Initially, there was no bum bag. Initially, it was just stretch lycra. No one was making it for me. I was taking one off the shelf. It, was, shelf. it wasn't very attractive because it didn't show the bits that it should show. It was bagging places, that it was, it was bagging places where it shouldn't be baggy. So I found a guy down in Brighton, right, who made up all my clothing. And he made up the very first suit. He fitted me. And he said, listen, every week I will send you two or three different unitards for you to wear. But how did you get on television? How, did that, how am I going to get on there? I've got the ideas. How am I going to get on there? And that's and, the next part. And I want to ask you, why did you want to get on there? Because a lot of people don't actually realize, you obviously realize the power of that. What was it that was driving you towards that goal? I, you know what? I don't think I recognize the power of it because I think every other fitness person on there, I've never seen him, them showing any sign of real success. You knew they were on television. I knew I wanted to get on television. I knew I wanted to promote the fitness I did. And, you know, my classes, as I said, were so popular. I'll always remember Gloria Honeyford's production people came out to see my classes because they'd heard about it. And they said to me, would you like to appear on her Sunday show? And I did. I went on to her Sunday show, and she offered me the opportunity to come and train her. her. This is 1992. I, start, I would travel all the way from Mill Hill all the way to Kent three times a week to train her. Why did I do it? The money was okay, but that wasn't the reason. I felt like there was something fueling me, something driving me on down this route. So I did that, and then she would say, you ought to be on television. And the more she said it, the more I believed it. <laughs> the next minute, right, she introduces me to Eamon Holmes, right, who said, come and train me. He was working for GMTV. You see how the, all the dominoes are stacking up. Mm. And that's all because you did something here. It wasn't paying forward. You do a good job here. They speak about you. That's yeah. better than any advert in the world when someone tells, mm. says, that was great. That was brilliant. I'm going to tell you to recommend you to my friends. So Eamon Holmes now have got me. I'm there training Eamon Holmes. Lorraine Kelly comes down. The weather people, Sally Mean, Simon Biagi, they were all there with me training. From there, I'm sitting inside the reception waiting one morning, and there is um, a guy walking in over there, had a larger-than-life belly. <laughs> <laughs> so I went over like that. <laughs> You imagine that night, <laughs> didn't you, right? <laughs> I went over and I prodded him in the belly. I don't know till this day what got in me to do it. I didn't know him. I went over, I prodded him in the belly, and I said, Adam, you need to sort that out. <laughs> he said, I don't have time. He said to me, I said to him, if you don't make time, you won't have time. Oh. He said, nice. leave me alone. And he stormed off. <laughs> I, I, went, I went up to the receptionist. I said, hello, Jackie. How are you doing? Uh, who was that man? She said, that was the program controller of GMTV. <laughs> what did I tell you? That was the fuel that made me the next day come in with my exercise bike, get in the lift, up to the fifth floor, push my bike in his office at quarter to eight and run away. <laughs> I went and trained the presenters at about one o'clock. We got back. I went up to his office, knocked on his door, and I said, excuse me, sir, you have my bike in your office. You need to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Seize every opportunity, yeah? He said to me, I don't have time. I said to his secretary, I said, Jill, please come here a moment. She came in. I said, will you just tell him that he needs to make time? She, says he, she said to me, you need it. He said, okay, can you book me in next Monday? She said, well, Monday's a busy day. How about Tuesday? The Tuesday I was booked in. I went up, started training him. He was there. He was dressing her. Then I realized I didn't know anything about personal training. <laughs> As I told you, there were no qualifications in those days. So I said to him, I ought to ask you some medical questions before we go any further. Uh, is there a history of heart disease in your family? Uh, yes, my dad died at age 42 with heart disease. Anything else? Oh, yes, my mother also had a heart problem. And he went through all this list of things. And I got worried and I told him, slow down. <laughs> and he said to me, at the end of about a month, he said, you need to be on television. So everything we do opens up 
new doors. Yeah. When you're at a crossroads in your life, don't stand here trying to figure out what the result is going to be of your decision. Make the decision and believe in yourself. Believe that if you're thrown in the deep end over here, new people are seeing you. Because when you're here, these people on the fringes can't see you. They don't know you're here. But the moment you go here and make a decision, they can see you. They can see you. You create new opportunities. And these are the lessons I've learned. Listen, I've been 70 years on this earth. I know you're looking at me and thinking, come on. <laughs> you look about 45. <laughs> well, I was 17 November gone. Right? <laughs> I'll do anything and say anything for a clap. Um, find what you enjoy. And when you do, live, breathe it. Let nothing, be single-minded, be selfish. Go for it. But do not be selfish about your health. Because there's no point you're working hard and then when you reach, require your health, you're over here, but your health is way over there playing catch-up, you got to take it with you. My wife will tell you, every day in my office, the alarm clock goes off every hour. And every hour, it reminds me to stand up. And I've got some dumbbells in my office. I do my dumbbells, I do some squats, whatever. Every hour. You only do it for two minutes, five minutes. You don't have to do more. 10% of every hour should be donated to your health. If you take nothing away from this session, that, yeah. take away that. 10% of your time is all I'm asking you to do. And I promise you, number one, you'll be more productive. Number two, you're going to feel good. Number three, you'll have another conversation that you can have with people. Number four, every single client you call up, even if the alarm goes off in the middle of a meeting, I will stand up and still do my exercises. Because what are you doing? You're treating yourself as an important person. You're looking after you, and you are important. You're unique. Every day you should get up, look in that, stand in front of that mirror, and marvel at what you see. It takes me half an hour to move across any reflection. <laughs> I'm doing... <laughs> what? <laughs> Is that you? Flip me. <laughs> You're joking. I'm proud of me. I love me. Come on. Love yourself. Come on, and the way you'll show appreciation for the love of yourself is to look after yourself. Right now, you can change the way in which you look at life. Right now, if you just put your feet flat on the floor, sit up straight, imagine there's an orange between your shoulder blades, your vision of everything going forward has changed. Just try it now. Orange between your shoulder blades, and just gently squeeze out juice that orange. <laughs> yeah? You can feel it running down your back, can't you? <laughs> If you do that every hour as part of your five minutes, it's going to be great for you. The other thing is, don't forget, you know, we carry our tension here. All our tension is here. I'm going to give you four letters. I know we, we, you got, I'm going to give you four letters I want you to remember. And we're going to do it from a seated position. Give me a Y with your arms, Isa, a Y. Imagine that's a Y shape, yeah? Push your thumbs backwards like you're pushing it to the back wall. So you're squeezing your shoulder blades together. You can feel it. Come down to a W. Push your thumbs behind you again. Feel it in there. So when you've been sitting at the desk for hours, I want you to remember these four letters. W, give me L. At this moment, you're probably putting your hands on someone's breast. <laughs> <laughs> and your hands are too low to be two L's. Get them off his balls. <laughs> All right. So you got two L, and then this one's going to stick it in their nose. Give me T, right? So if you remember that, always pushing your thumbs behind you. So you start Y, W, L, T. You will live taller. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Look, loving it. You know, I think it's uh, amazing advice for, for everyone. Amazing advice for me. Hey. Yeah, look, you know, it's uh, amazing. I'm often being yeah, sold out. Yeah, but Adam, you fit. work hard. Yeah. Come on, you work hard. You work hard and you're here mentoring mm. people. And so often, right, while we're helping other people, we forget about ourselves. On the airplane, they tell you, put your mask on first before you can help anybody else. But yes, still, what do we do? And I learned to my detriment a year ago the, the, the crime 
When you spend your time looking after everybody else, we had a death in our family. I'll share that with you. It was December last year, the year before, our granddaughter. And I was not going to cry. I was going to be there always with my daughter. I was going to be the strong one. I was going to be the one, right, who was never going to show any of those emotions. Because, no, they needed my support. Eventually, my body broke down. There was a point at which I collapsed in the room. Collapsed. Because the, one, of the, one of the worst things in the world is for you to feel that you are God. You're not. We're human, we're flesh, we're breathing, and grief is horrible. Grief is horrible. And it can drain you. And every one of us in here, if we haven't suffered loss, we'll suffer loss one day. It's a fact. It's, it's, that's the circle of life. But your health is really important. What the doctor said to me, if I wasn't as fit as I am now, I would not be here today. But the remedy was in the February, after going through all that, me being really sick and stuff like that, in the February, I sat down with my wife and my, eld- my youngest daughter, and I said, I just realized why I got ill. I was all the time not refusing to cry because everyone else around me was crying, and I felt the only way I could show strength was by not crying. And I bawled my eyes out that day. And that was the point at which I found relief. That was the point at which I realized, and I say this to every man in here, you're a man if you cry. And so when, when, I, when I come to events like that, I do loads of events, I talk about, you, you, look, there's loads of people say they're motivational speakers. You can get it from a textbook, whatever. I've lived whatever I'm talking to you about. I don't need notes. I don't need PowerPoint. I'm talking to you about what I've lived through. And when I talk to you about the importance of your health, and I say to you, grief is something that no one can give you a textbook for. No one can say this is how you handle it. Right? Because around the same time as losing my granddaughter, I lost my best friend of 60 years, and I've just lost another friend of 50 years last Thursday. But that's the circle of life. And guess what? There's an upside to everything, you know. Because we often go, someone's life, you talk to them and they go, I'm not that significant. If you think you're not that significant, if you think your life is not that significant, imagine a darkened room and there's a mosquito in there. Yeah? A mosquito may be insignificant, but look how powerful it is. So every one of us are powerful. And what we're doing out there, what we're creating, everything that you're working on, can have such an impact on every single person out there. As long as you work hard, you're considerate, and you're kind, then amazing things are going to happen. I'll repeat that. Work hard, be considerate, be kind. Amazing things will happen in your life. So I'm here just basically sharing the experiences I've had. I never went to university, but I can hold my own with any graduate. I never went to the only school I've been to university is the seven universities I spent 10 years in, in each one of them. And I'm here to say to you that it's great you're on that journey. It's great that you're trying to create or you've got your business there. But don't, please, please, if you listen to nothing else, don't leave your health behind. Take it with you. Yeah? And it's never too late. Never too late. You can start today. The moment you start, any condition you have, you're going to slow down the rate it comes to the surface. Fact. I've got an online club called the Mr. Motivators Club which is all to do with empowering people and getting fitness and health and stuff like that. And we've now got two major London hospitals who have started recommending patients to us prior to operation. So if we've got two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks before cancer operation, they come to us, they follow a pathway of exercise. Why? Because they know that if you go into an operation fitter and healthier, your recovery is much quicker. They know that even if all it did was made you mentally feel stronger and feel like you're doing something, that puts you in a great space. The evidence is there. It's clear. right? And it's nothing to do with size. It's to do with you looking after your health. You can be any size you want to be as long as you love you. Come on, that's what's important. Absolutely. As long as you love you. I mean, what the hell? Who am I to tell you you should be a size 8, 10? First of all, you're too, if you're too small, right, at nights there's nothing to cuddle. <laughs> so, so, well, you know what I mean, Adam. 
<laughs> so, so, yeah, look after you. Look after you. Be proud of who you are. Come on. When you leave here, you go and really look at yourself in the mirror. And you realize how uniquely different you are. What do they say? Beautiful, beautiful um, teenagers are freaks of nature. But beautiful older people are works of art. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> so, so on the journey in terms of building your brand, yeah. we, we go on GMTV. Yeah. What happens next? What <laughs> happens to you? You know what? I, I remember August 23rd, 1993, came about purely because after being told so many times that a black man on fitness, doing fitness on television would never happen, there's one day I'm wait, waiting for these guys again. And I went up to the office to meet up with Eamon Holmes. And as I'm walking by, there's a lady on the phone, and she's calling up the Keep Fit Association of Great Britain, which has just recently been set up, and saying to them, we would love you to come in and actually do the fitness on television. And I knelt down by the side of her, and I said, please, just put the phone down, please. Just stop, put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> she put the phone down. She said, who are you? I said, well, I'm Derek. She says, oh, Mr. McHugh has told me all about you, that you train him and you get him fit. But we have spoken to the advertisers and they reckon that they don't see it working, a black man doing fitness, so it ain't going to happen. I said, come on. She said, no, I don't think so. She said, but look, this is television. Things are a way of changing. A month later, she called me up. Her name was Lollingham. She called me up and she said, listen, the young lady who's doing fitness on television, by the way, lesson to all of you, lady who's doing fitness on television is going away on holiday for two weeks. We're going to put you in there. I want you to try it. <laughs> she says, but we need to see what you're going to do. I said to her, well, I don't plan anything I'm going to do. I don't choreograph anything. <laughs> I, never, I never have. I never go up four steps left, four steps right. I just comes from in here. She says, but the director on the floor needs to know. I said, could you take me down there? She took me down to the studio, and there's five cameras. She said to me, I said, how do I know if the camera's on me? She said, well, they'll all be on you, but the director behind is normally saying camera one, camera two. I said to her, well, look, how about we do it this way? Let me teach you like I'm teaching a class. And I go, okay, I'm going to work the biceps. And when I say that, that camera will know to come in. And when I say I want to go on the floor, I speak to the camera like I'm speaking at home. Come down with me onto the floor. She says, well, we've never done that. Let's try it. I said, fine. 23rd of August, I went in, 10 to 7, and the rest is history. <laughs> um, I've got a really... The, the question that I, w I want to ask, which I think is a really important question, is getting that feedback. Yes. And, and essentially, there's obviously a racist undertone to that as well. Yeah. How, how did you manage... You, you maintained a massive positivity in that area. You didn't let that defeat you. No. You could have... You just actually just kept playing on, just like, I don't care what they say, I'm going to do yeah. it anyway. What, how, how did you manage to take that mindset to it? Because some people don't take that mindset. No, no they don't. But, you know, the thing is, I was on a mission. I didn't know what the mission was. <laughs> I knew that I wanted to be the best at what I was doing. I knew I needed a platform to yeah. be the best. I knew that television provided a good advert. I never expected to be as popular as I became. The station were at the bottom of the ratings when I joined. Roland Rat was on the other side and they were top of the ring. <laughs> I'll always remember Greg Dyke, who was then the, um, the guy at ITV, and he came over to me one day, I was just coming down the lift, this was at the end of the first week, and he said to me, by the way, do you realize that you're the Roland Rat of ITV? <laughs> but he did say one thing, he said, if ever they get rid of you, let me know, because I'll have something for you to do. Trust me. He then got sacked. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so... When, when it happened, I'll always remember on the Thursday, I started on the Monday, on the Thursday, I'd just done a workout to Bob Marley, and I came upstairs, and when I came up, there was 200 people in the office, and everyone stood up and applauded. And Mr. McHugh said, come, we want to talk to you. And I walked into his office, and he said, look, we want to offer you the job on TV. I said, no thanks. I said, I'm only kidding. <laughs> and... That's how it happened. And then all of a sudden, it was everywhere. And you know, the fun, here's the funniest thing. After the first one, yeah. what type of... And when you did it and proved... When somebody tells you you can't do something for so long, you can't have it, you can't have it, you can't have it, you can't have it, yeah. you can't have it, then you get it and you literally smash it out of the park, 
What did you feel like when they said that they wanted to offer you that job? What, what, what? I, it, look, it was a wonderful feeling. I mean, but the thing is, I didn't get as excited as most people do. I mean, my wife would tell you that most things that I, I go for, once I get to the point where I've got it, the excitement was actually getting there. It wasn't actually get, because journey, I really yeah. believe that it would happen anyhow. It was only a question of when. So, I but, I, but what it is, it was the nice things that happened after that that made me feel good. I remember I came out on the, th the Thursday, I think it was, and I went into a little cafe and I ordered a sandwich and I was about to pay him and he said, no. I said, why? He said, no, 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 no. He said, you bring me joy in the mornings. And I thought, my goodness, that is so heartwarming. Mm. So, I got a call from um, a guy who ran a TV station in America. He was in his hospital bed in London having treatment. And he called me up and they, they put him through to me and he said, you know what, there's just something unique about you. Here's my number and stuff like that. I want to meet you, right, um, when, if you can get to America and stuff like that. That's the type of thing that opened up. The doors just started opening up all over the place. Station would send me to Vegas. They closed the strip in Vegas for us to launch a new video. Don't forget, my videos are now still the biggest selling videos, fitness videos ever in this country. Wow. Right? But... I'm very protective, Adam, about brand motivator. If you notice, in the press, all that, I don't go to the parties, I don't do all those things. I say no to a hell of a lot of stuff. Because brand motivator should be trusted. I remember Disney, we had a project on with Disney. And they did a market research. And they said that the characters that they have are trusted the same as Mr. Motivator. In other words, parents would go, I'm quite happy putting the kids in front of the cartoons in the same way they're happy putting in front of me. That is important to me. My brand, I mean, listen, I get offers to use it in all kinds of ways. And I say no, purely because I must remain true. And that way you must trust me. And if you trust me, it means that hopefully you listen to what I say. I sort your fitness out. I smash your face in. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you, how did you handle the growth? Oh. How did, did it, were there some times? Because oh, it's, it, you know, it's an amazing journey, you know, congratulations. On your, on your massive success. How did you handle the growth and the new things that were coming and the opportunity? Did you have some moments where you then found it even more difficult? Did you have some plateaus? Were there there's some difficulties that came up after you started succeeding? You know what? It's, it's kind of interesting. It's been 30 years now. And the last two years, the two years of lockdown have been my busiest years ever. I had to move away from television because television was only interested in the entertainment I brought to fitness. And the deeper side of wellness is what I'm about. Well-being is my whole mantra. And that's why I was given the MBE last year. It was for service to the health and well-being of this country. That has been my whole focus all along. And by going away from television, it allowed me to actually kind of rebrand myself a little bit. Still keep the same vehicle I was traveling in because that's the other thing. Don't change course. Don't jock away. If you've got a shop and that shop's doing well, when you expand, don't close that shop. Don't close it. Whatever you did right. Don't analyze what you did right. In fact, look at how you can use what you did there, there to propel you forward. So for me, every single thing, my friends from the past are the people I engage. Because in television, you don't forge friendships. They all want to be there. I used to hold for the station 200 people. We used to take over a nightclub every October. And I'd invite the whole staff in for a party. Because I believe my success was not just me alone. It was them. It was the guy who was cleaning up the bathroom. How many people here know the name of their cleaner? We should all know the name of the cleaner. That's the most important job in any company. When the, the MD goes away, everyone wants to be MD. When the cleaner goes away, no one cleans the bin. <laughs> fact, yeah? That is fact, yeah. <laughs> And so I say that's the most important person. There's, if I go into any building and I see a cleaner, I'm speaking to that cleaner. Because most people look down on And that job, right, that job is the most important job in your business. Yeah? Anyhow, I, I, I sidetrack. Um, in terms of handling, I, it was really difficult. The press office, I've never seen it, anything like this before. I used to have two people allocated to me. Wherever I went, there was always chaperone, someone looking after me. I didn't know anything about this. Because as far as I'm concerned, I was just a fitness instructor who happened to be on television with a different job to everyone else. But it was good for the station. And for eight, nine years, they exploited it to the fullest. And then guess what they did? 
I used to have on all my shoots three or four cameras because I'm very spontaneous. I do things just based on feeling. So you've got to be there to capture it. A bit like if you go to the Fred Star show, he's got all these cameras around because one minute he'd be setting his hair on light, next minute you won't know Freddie Starr, you youngsters. Um, <laughs> um, but, and, and so with me, with, with exercise, it's, I'm also spontaneous. Even my videos, never choreograph, but we just do it. So you've got to capture it there and then. And as soon as they got to the top of the ratings, they started dropping a camera off. Till eventually we were going out to do a shoot with one camera, which meant I had to repeat things, and I don't like repeating things. And that was another reason why I had to Could move you on. Can say that again? <laughs> I'm only playing. Why did they do that? Because they got what they wanted out of me. And then they started, they started breaking and working. They started, what they started doing was taking away the quality of what I was doing. The spontaneity, the, you know, everything about me was spontaneous. I see if a helicopter came across, I go, give me a shot of that helicopter. You don't get it out. It's real. <laughs> it's real. That's what's going on. But they didn't want that any longer now, right? I mean, honestly, we had some... But listen, it was good that they did that because it made it easier for me to break away, right? And I thank God for the opportunity they gave me because it did, it launched me, and it made me who I am today. You know, it's a real important platform. But marketing is so critical for all of us. Henry Ford said, right, that the man who turns off the light... No, the man who doesn't advertise is a bit like the man who turns off the light thinking I can save some money. You need to advertise. And I did that. I went into it fully. I mean, everything about me, I kept marketing it, marketing it. Even when I was away from television, I did that. They was brought... it natural for you to do that? Yeah. It was actually natural? Yeah. Yeah, it was based on everything I learned from Rank Hovis McDougall, marketing, selling, distribution. All that came into four. But then, you see, the BBC very cleverly, just before lockdown, brought me back. But I said I would only come on television dressed in lycra if I could also do some stuff which is to do with well-being, which she said yes. And that was a turning point. So the result was, after doing, as soon as I did that, I remember the first call I had was from Talk Talk, who said, listen, our staff are all over the place. We need to get in touch with them. Could you do, put together a little program for them? So I did this thing called a motivational experience. And that was 10 minutes of movement to music and a 20-minute talk. After we did that, they booked me two or three times after that. Then Google heard about it. So I was getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to transmit to Singapore, India, Australia. And then at 10 o'clock, I'd do Europe. And 11 o'clock in the evening, I'd do America. Same thing, to keep all their teams just focused and make them know they're important. I just give them the talk that I'm giving to you now. That opportunity comes about not because we planned it. It's because they're there all the while, right in front of you. Why are some people more successful than others? Because they seized the opportunity. They saw it. They ran with it. They didn't just say, it's a great idea. They ran with it. And that's what I do with everything. I, right now, I've got so many projects on the go. Why? Number one, because I always want to behave like a 12-year-old. I never want to get old. I believe you get old when you stop being young. So I want to be busy. That's number one. Number two, I believe right that I'm in my most important years of my life now. Right? This is when it all matters. I must continue to stand up straight. And that means every one of us, and we go back to the old health again, that straightness is really important. Because as we get older, this is what happens. And it doesn't have to happen. We work on saga ships. With the average age group, he's probably about 70. 80% are sitting down and bent over when they arrive. By the end of three weeks, we've got 80% standing up straight. Because what it is, they, the reason why they fall is because they forget, muscle memory disappears. And so if you start now making sure the muscle memory works, it's a bit like me saying to you, move your small toe. It's real difficult, isn't it? Because you've broken the link to that small toe. But if you touch it, you reestablish the link. That's what we've got to do with everything, is create the muscle memory. So that way, when, as we get older, it's there. You'll never see me lounging for long. I have to sit up. And he, you said to me outside, like, I don't have to sit down for this interview, do I? <laughs> That's what he said. No, 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 no. You're crazy. Never. As long as, as, long as you're right and me sitting down, no problem. <laughs> yeah, never, never. I never. I don't cross my legs neither, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I've got a bit to learn, I think. Hey. We're going to hey. we have to hang out a bit more, right? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so in terms of what's happening now, you've, yeah. you, you, and I'm very honoured that we've gone from talk, talk to Google to gold circle. Is that pretty hey. good, everyone? <laughs> you know, so, so thank you for, for, yeah. for joining us. What, what's next? And you know, what is, what's the sort of future looking like? Well, there the are a number of things. We have to empower. You know, there's a, what got me into this was there's a lady... When she was 100 years of age, she, all she wanted was to work out with me. And there's a charity called a Fans Network based in Colchester. And they got in touch and said, would I do this virtual workout for her? Which I did. And so we transmitted it to a lot of care homes, who at the time were really getting a bad, a bad message. You know, it was terrible what was going on. She was 102 last year. So I drove all the way from Manchester to Colchester, and we did a surprise thing, 102. Then we transmitted it to all these care homes. And it made me realize, right, that number one, even the person in there with Alzheimer's or dementia knew Mr. Motivator. The moment I walk in, they'd go, Mr. Motivator, right? The smile on their face. And so my message is still relevant now, even though it began, mm. you know, 40, 30, 40 years ago. And what is it? Because I believe I need to be an example to everyone. I need to say, look, if it's possible for me, it's possible for you, right? If you want success, no matter where you're striving for it, adopt the same principles that I've always had. And that is, you know, you can't do it alone. What do they say? If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. And that's why these are great, great settings for you. Because that way you can share ideas, right? You're not necessarily sharing your dreams, you're sharing your experiences. And those, that is really important. And all I'm doing with you is just sharing my experiences. So my platform will always be that. Um, we've got our online club that we have set up, right, which is for everyone. Right? And it's, all we're doing on there is not using words like aerobics or fit or this kind of stuff. We're making it so it's movement. I work with saga ships, and they keep wanting to book me loads. We have classes on saga ships in the biggest room, which is about twice as big as in here. Class starts at 9.30. A quarter to nine, people are queuing up to get in. Walkers, the whole lot. Nah. <laughs> right. 30 minutes later, they're just buzzing. And these are people 75, 80, 85 years of age. So when we find what's us, trust me, the audience will arrive. But you've got to be enjoying your journey. If you're not enjoying your journey, you're in the wrong place. I closed down many businesses I had. I had a concession business before accessory shops. I used to trade in Lady at Lord John, um, these are the names you probably won't remember, Jane Norman, um, there was Top Shop, all those. We used to rent space in their store at the front and we had these accessories. Right? I had 18 of these units all over the country, Knightsbridge, Oxford Street. The very first shop we opened up was in 38262 Oxford Street. It was Jane Norman shop. And I went in, I just an idea I had, I had a tray with some costume jewelry. And I asked the CDMD and he let me in. And I walked in with this tray and I said, listen, I want to set up some shop within shops within your store. He said, I haven't got a clue what you mean. <laughs> I, said, I said, literally, we'll get some units made up. I don't need much space. I believe I could be taking one, two thousand pounds a week. He said, prove it. So I went down Berwick Street. In Berwick Street, they have all these costume jewelry places down there. And I used to be down in the warehouse and I thought, now, I don't know much about the fashion business. I'm doing my fitness. Don't know much about fashion. What am I going to do? I tell you what we'll do. Let's be different. So I go down in the warehouse and I take out all the old Monty that they had. And I have a sprinkling of whatever the fashion colors are. And I design up all the stands. Right? And we had these units at the front. Set up these accessories. The very first week, it took 3,000 pounds. I'm talking about 1985 here. He said, on the basis of that, you can have 388 Oxford Street, which is just by Selfridges. And guess what? We took more, twice that amount of money. Was I enjoying it? No. I proved I could do it, but I was still looking out for what was me. So this was pre the fitness, pre everything else. That's what I did. Then next minute, I, I had a great idea. I thought, you know what? I could set up a building business. Oh, by the way, the reason why that business went belly up in the end is this. All the while, to expand and survive, it was relying on my judgment alone. I would be the one who'd go out, choose the stock. I'd take it back, we had a flat. I was up in the attic. I'd be there sorting it into little allocated bags for each shop. 
And one year, because we were making so much money, I thought, let's get in touch with some fashion forecasters, which I did. These fashion forecasters, they go to Paris and they go to France and they work out what the trends are going to be for next year and they give you all the color guidelines, little swatches, cost a lot of money, but I did it. But I bought my stock now of all the hair combs and stuff from France, right, based on the colors they dictated. It was khaki, they said, it was going to be big that year. So we had khaki ties and all the accessories that you need to go with it. We put it on the stand, nothing sold. All the belts, nothing sold. Why? We were a year too early. One year too early. Before, I was actually reacting to what the demand is and supplying it, whereas here now, I was trying to forecast and predict what would be required. Totally wrong. I changed the very basis of my business. So in the end, we had to close it down. So what did I do next? Building business. I thought, you know what, I could be good at this. So I got myself a barber jacket. I got my Wellingtons. And I've always, from a friend I was talking to, he said, look, if you've got a good carpenter and an architect, you've got the beginnings of a building business. So I did that. And the very first job I got was in Bethnal Green, conversion of this three-story house. Can you believe it? I know nothing about it. And I'm freezing in the middle of winter. And I ain't doing nothing. I'm merely just saying, you do that, you do that. I didn't stay there for long. I moved on. So I tried everything. But when I found what was me, oh my goodness, fitness, health, well-being, making people smile, making them laugh. I mean, I've arrived. I mean, I just think this is it. Nothing else matters. And that's why I live and breathe it to this day. That's amazing. Big round of applause. <laughs> just got, we'll open up. You're right, so okay. we've got the questions from the audience. Just one last question from me. Okay. Where do you go shopping? Um, <laughs> Well, you see, I've learned. I've learned two things in life, Adam. <laughs> if you've got money, you don't have to be a good athlete because you can buy a trophy. <laughs> I, can be the, I, can, I can go, look, I'm going to buy a 100-meter record trophy and put my name on it. So I'm no good at athletics. But when it comes to my clothes, I decide to buy the tailor. No, I didn't. I actually got them. They make up all my stuff. Someone makes up all my things. Beats. That makes me uniquely different. It's a, it is very unique, very different, and it gets you noticed, doesn't it? Uh, tell me about go. it. Marketing. Yeah. Marketing. No point. And it's really quite a unique way of marketing, which is why I, I want to ask it. Hey, everybody. Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favour. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy Days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.